0: The following episode was recorded in front of a live audience in the New Zealand Warbirds hangar at Ardmore Airport on the 28th of September 2014. We're very grateful to the New Zealand Warbirds Association for allowing us to hold a Wings Over New Zealand forum meet in their hangar. Because it was in a large hangar the acoustics were not perfect and unfortunately there's a little bit of background noise in this recording. I do apologise that the sound recording is not perfect.
1: The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, airshow news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media, and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers, and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from WarbirdRadio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as
2: part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at WarbirdRadio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, And we're from Plane Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at planecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi warbird, restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On ya, Dave. Yeah, good on ya, mate.
1: Yeah, we got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway?
3: Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane.
1: Wings Over New Zealand Show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota, and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz.
0: Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand Show with Dave Homewood. The day today and that is we're going to be hearing from some of the Bomber Command veterans. Um, it's interesting that we've heard from some Bomber pilots earlier today but none of the post-war guys, these are the World War II guys. Um, we're very privileged to have six of our Bomber Command veterans here and um, it's thanks to the Bomber Command Association of New Zealand, um, which is led by Peter Wierick, Simon, and uh, other stalwarts, include Jonathan Pope and Wilfred, who are going um, to help out here, hopefully with this uh, bit of a panel, just to get some discussion going. These days it's actually very rare for um, most younger people to get a chance to talk with veterans uh, about uh, what happened in World War Two, and we always try and have that kind of element in our forum meets um, while we can, and I think it's... Um, it's quite uh, a good thing to have a few of the bomber guys here because we've uh, featured fighter pilots in the past. And uh, so I'm just going to hand the mic over to Peter Wheeler and he's going to introduce him here. Thanks, Dave. Good afternoon. Um,
2: amongst this group is obviously much younger people like us. But between Jonathan, and Phil, um, they've both flown in Lancaster's field quite regularly. So they do have a hands-on experience. Um, Phil was just returned from England, of course, for that episode, we've had two Lancasters flying throughout England. Um, and both are very much part of the Mojang display and the maintenance of Lancaster there. So that's just why way of production. So Lancaster details, like serial numbers, Colours, which uh, number of insects fly in formation with them, please ask these to Now, um, from left, Dears Hall, flight engineer, um, flew in the Lazi Squadron 463, and then um, flew on Lincoln's following that. Um, very experienced man, he's also experienced a force navy in Lincoln. Lincoln. Mm. Keith Bowles is a DFC pilot on Oboe Mosquitoes. Now easily aircraft from 109 Squadron that would fly solo to Europe on a beam, and at a certain indication, they would then drop the markers of the target. On their logbooks, they would record the distance of miss, and as a student of this, <laughs> I don't do serial numbers, I do lot books. Um, it's quite common to see from 28, 29,000 feet a miss of under 100 yards. And the best I've ever seen is from 27,000 feet a 10 yard miss. And I think that's a pretty good sort of thing. Um, next to him is Bill Peterson. Now, Bill is alone so and that he's a Halifax pilot. <laughs> Of course most of them were shot down on the wall. did terrible things. But Bill's very proud of the service of 101 Squadron. Sorry, 102 Squadron. I'm sorry. Just a month ago I was at Falkington where he flew from and they had a lovely display and also had a great lighting colour. And like he feels surrounded England, these big memorials of these guys. Reg Dunbar, next is the DFM, and he's had an interesting career. Um, on Wellingtons, in the desert, for a long time and seeing he survived back in Rommel they took him back to England and abandoned the back seat of Defiant which I don't know if you knew, people who knew aircraft, they were particularly good but they took Regis down the other way because he actually flew in the first flight of electric, electronic countermeasures and they had jamming equipment in the back of these Clients, and I think they called it Mantle. And these okay. flew set horses out over the North Sea and the Channel as diversionary or confusion tactics for radar. So very interesting. Next to him is Roy Montrose, DFC, Wellington pilot in the desert. Roy um, sort of got lost in the desert and he's very hard of hearing. So if you ask a question to him, I'll talk to him. Um, they meant to do 40 operations for their tour and they lost track of Roy. I think he did 42. <laughs> although he's just found another one, so he thinks he's done 43. He then flew my um, Junkers 52 through Africa, and eventually by flying boat. This thing was a flying boat. A flying boat. Um, back to England, where he retrained as a mosquito pilot. Um, <coughs> 692 squadron and they dropped 4,000 pound cookies all over Germany virtually at will. Um, the tour at that, that length was 50 offs, so Boy personally, if you do the maths, has dropped 200,000 pound ordinance on Germany personally. Next to him is one of the longest serving members on the land crew at Motat. Alan Taylor. Now, Alan's got an unusual career because he was a major in the artillery in Korea and shelled the North Koreans. So, uh, if you look along this the group, they certainly had carried some firepower in their lifetimes. So, that's the introduction. And please, uh, any questions? Anything you'd like to hear from Which was the best aircraft? Which was the best aircraft? So, not? Right? Yes. Like Which plane is the best? <laughs> Rich? <laughs> no, I think right. well, right. <laughs> Which is
4: the best aircraft? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I see>. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: just a mark three?
5: <laughs> <laughs> you <don't>? go. <laughs> 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 I,
3: I can say why I think a Wellington is the best aircraft is because when you go to direct it, the geodetic instructions took the strain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you come back in one piece. Whereas we some aircraft which are aluminum-clad, you get a home range, it just holds up.
2: Well I've got a question for you, when you were flying through FAC, and I think the description was that these guys in one operation faced more firepower than an army captain did in his whole career. So that's pretty interesting isn't it? When you were hit by a flak, what does it sound like? What? When you were hit by a fleck, what does it sound like? Flak. <laughs> there you go. I'm not sure if that was spelled with an F or right. you have good
6: hair and good
2: head I didn't hear it. Sorry?
4: <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just like somebody throwing pebbles at the thing until we got that one. I think the most memorable fear and memory for me of flag is that toward the end of the war, when the Germans were using black uh, ag which had shells in them which were fused to the height at which we were flying and uh, the best description I can think of is it's like lying on the bed about- on the black stained sheets in the carpet, it's just a black carpet and without trying to be a hero here I have to say as long as that's my thought was I don't think we're going to get through that lot of life. And, uh, so I don't do any scouting about my flying career at all. I just don't have to still be around here. One <laughs> well,
2: famous key cartoon, I think it was from the Sydney Tribes squadron, Harvard, and asked how he was the flag. He like said, it was so heavy, so thick. <laughs> they
1: landed <laughs> They put
4: down the wheels and taxidermy. I've got
1: a question for Rich. No,
3: I couldn't
4: hear that. No. So you uh, have to
1: tell manual operations using the defiant. Can you tell us a little bit about what he was doing
2: exactly? Oh, defiant, when you're doing manual. Defiant. When you were flying. flying down the Cameo. Oh, yes. Oh,
3: look. Well. Well, can I start from the beginning?
2: No, we have got time. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pre-war man. We have got oh, yeah. time for the Well, I'll
3: start halfway through. Uh, when, we, when I finished the tour up in Germany, I was posted out of the Middle East. We did another tour out there, still on Wellington, in support of the Eighth Army. Came back to England, and was posted to a gentle unit called 15 operational training units where which, we which trained other people. But while I was there, Churchill decided that he wanted to mount a large scale bombing attack on Germany. And for that reason, he wanted to mount a 1,000 bomber raid. Well, we didn't have 1,000 bombers. <laughs> So the only thing that they could do was to ground all the training aircraft, spruce them up, and use those as well as the operational ones. But unfortunately, on an OTU, as it was called, they had mixed aircraft. Some of the Wellington aircraft were used for circuits and bunks, just training pilots to take the aircraft up and land it. Take it up and land it. Some fell by the wayside, of it. And the others that were better, they used the cross-country flying, training pilots in cross-country. Well, when this edict went out that they were going to um, ground all the training aircraft, some of them were rather, r- How can I put it? Getting to the end end of their career. And so they took lots, drew drew numbers out, so that some people got a good aircraft to fly over these thousand bombers, and some had rather rough ones. I managed, and the first one was to Cologne, to be a wireless operator on an aircraft that had been used for circuits and bumps. And it smells of petrol, and it wouldn't fly higher, bomb, bomb loading. It wouldn't fly much higher than 6,000 feet. So when we were to the target the target, they had the, a the, the sergeant pilot, and he was rather annoyed that he couldn't get much height to it, so he said, I'm not going in there, and all this sort of bombing stuff was going in there. So he said, I'll do a split, ask and when we turned started, so he said, You let go of the bomb, So that's how we got back home, all right. <laughs> and the second one was to Essen, and that was without trouble at all. But when we got back and we got a third briefing, we were at the briefing we were um, spoken to by a ministry man who said that they were looking for volunteers for counter raid. He didn't say what it was, if it's special duties. <laughs> so I turned to my friend and I said, I'm looking, not looking forward to a third thousand bomber race because we don't know what kind of aircraft we're going to get." So we decided to Volunteer, <coughs> volunteer, so that was the start of the old material, uh, i, <laughs> I I'll so I was a wireless operator. <clears throat> <coughs> I don't know what the operator defines, but there are two seater, pilot and the operator who operates at four gun turret at the back. But there's not much room in the back, just a little set. Seat that sort of sits up like that. But the additional equipment was jamming equipment, which was in the back of the pottery. So you had to lift your lid up or drop your seat and get in there. But when you were down underneath there and you were flying in enemy territory, you didn't know what was coming to hit you because you were down in the back operating the jamming equipment. <laughs> well, Oh, I will with more. <laughs> but it was a bit sort of a uh, hair-raising one. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was a flight in
2: Kenya, at, uh, and then they did the uh, trips. And in your logbook, you you call them, Course 1 or P, or 3 or 6, I think, you you would okay. mm-hmm. The right strike right force, 692 squadron, your squadron, how did they select the targets?
5: What was well, the given to the I speak headquarters.
6: I'm not quite sure the question is. I think he asked me how those additional targets that i supply supplying the uh, high-opportunity mosquitoes and PFF. Problem, But uh, we have no knowledge how I select them. All my targets, 50 of them were over Germany. I had no choice where we go. Some were Berlin, Hanover, Frankfurt, all different uh, German cities, mostly in industrial areas. I don't know what else it was. <laughs> And did, you, did you always know how long your tour was going to
2: be? How did it change while you were flying? Do you, you want to answer that? You would like to mm-hmm. answer that? Mm-hmm. Tour, how long is your tour? Mm-hmm. How long is the bomber command tour? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh,
6: so. to
2: the uh, standard
4: That's tour was uh, 30 operations and um, <clears throat> I had a good friend who went um, down on this first day he was credited there on the path of an operation and I have another friend who was caught in the middle of the bank time for bombing command and they finished up tour of 33 so it did vary, good but 30 was a standard number Um, It was more of a mixture towards the end of the war (coughs) with a because a lot of it was uh, a daylight bombing and um, uh, that was uh, a mixture between say, um, the um, night bombs to go into the canals in the river or a long long one to me which I did three times and uh, it, it, was a, it was a mixture of day and night flying so you had to take your luck with what you got there was uh, by the way um, no, no um, great choice of it Matter. Some people got through with uh, daylight flying almost entirely, so they went on night bombing. Nice. Others never saw a daylight flying, you just did yeah. yeah. whatever happened. Okay. Then your tour. <clears throat> How long was your tour? We are
2: something,
5: and I think this is working. Our tour, the first half, was 50 ops, and the average height was from 28 to 34,000 feet and we, the Oboe Boys as we like to call ourselves, were controlled from two stations, initially from Bristol and latterly they put in controlling stations as mobiles on the continent. So, that being so, they increase our range to as far as Berlin, and I think, uh, oh dear, some other place way out there at the moment. Um, uh, but in the earlier days, uh, activity was industrial, in fact it's always industrial but the Ruhr in particular. And we would go from Gelsenkirchen to Hamburg to Cologne, you name it, all the way through. And uh, one particular afternoon, or for briefing, as we used to say, what's on of oh, Berlin, and who should come in the briefing room, but a chappy who would um, be doing a um, (coughs) trip to. uh, (coughs) What the hell, you had me forgetting what I've forgotten. And uh, now the target was estimate and we were due to go and we found out some others had just been to it in the previous evening and they got pepper popped. Now, that means on a mozzie, your bits of shrapnel will go right through and leave a little hole. And that was one of the reasons that the were very well thought of. No structural failure. Mm-hmm. But the funny part about that, oh hell Berlin, then woken up to that yes woken up to that degree and we're going again typical uh, pastime to follow up rage boss but when you're an oboe and you're flying as near straight level, constant height at constant speed so that the ground controllers could tell the navigator when to drop and it was critical because dropping a flare for the heavies to use the timing had to be (coughs) spot on and I mean it, spot on and how grounders Essen, Ray, I was mentioning before we were all sort of gently more so than usual shall we say and uh, nothing happened nothing happened it was just like a cross country we flew all the way to Essen, suddenly came home again after all that mental tension <laughs> that they could the afternoon boys, as I say, they were pepper-potted all the way. What happened to the fire tower down below? I've got no idea.
2: Just a um, uh, point about that, the, this operation, 30 operations to do 2 um it was decided by like some 20 month. And when D-Day came along, they said, oh, so many going across the channel especially after the V1 place. These should only count as half. There's not even any count as a so having done a few races, that with the casualties because they were then day like low level were much higher than before they really stated them to count as one. So it's a little like the Royal Command class that the, um, any other class that's been awarded to any other group that would be made in Army, normally requires 24 hours in the theatre of war on the front line. The people who decided the Common command cast, which was only in reluctantly, after a confusion over pressure, they decreed that someone would have to be on operations 90 days after they qualified for the, for the 39, 45 staff. And in order to qualify for that, you had to be on operations for 60 days. So basically, what they said to get the class, you had to be on frontline operations for 120 days. And in there, the end, the thing was this class, I don't know if you've seen it, is a three cent piece of cotton. Ribbon. Mm. So, the Bomber Command boys had quite a right to be a bit shitty about how much you did. Sorry, how many you did there? Yeah, Any I thought this uh,
4: Sit on, Yep. It might interest you in terms of uh, what brought it to light was listening to the talks we had this morning, which were very interesting. But the colossal differences between what was used in the fuel in my day and in what's used today. Now, Lancaster's full load of fuel is uh, 2,154 gallons and six tanks, three in each wing. And the engineer who thought he knew what he was doing, he was aiming for an AMPG of one. That was a magic figure. A MPG meaning air mile per gun. So doing everything from takeoff to climbing to cruising to diving to dodging fighters. You hoped at the end of the battle when you got back to base you averaged about a mile through the air for every gun and the fuel you had uh, burned. The exciting part about this, particularly for the young engineer who was on his early trips was when you got a long one with um, um, full tanks halfway to the ferry, down the ferry track to the green light at the takeoff the, at the runway uh, it was stopped and there was all frozen air and climbed the port and topped up another two tanks with the 50 gallons you'd already burned in starting up and running up in taxi. Uh, you got to the magic figure at the end of one, but the disturbing part was that you opened up the throttle to 3000 plus 14 boost on your four-road horse motors for takeoff. Right. And at that stage you were burning fuel at the rate of 580 gallons an hour, which means you had for about 3 hours with a 10-hour trip in front of you. It told to be very careful about the you know, economical with fuel um, The average, I suppose, was uh, um, over... No no, set it for one, it's a simple figure If you couldn't come back with an average of one you were doing pretty well You'd probably you'd probably finish up with left fuel tanks which was a linear every of time but it was a worry to begin with because, particularly on the very, very long trips, uh, some of them were easy so long. get um, The longest I did was more than 11 hours, and that was actually to Trondheim Field in Norway to Longview at the Pins. That's when, as we used to say, you lucky to back with white tanks. And um, overall, the, the uh, figure of one stuck in the mind from the beginning, if you manage that, you're going to get back in one piece. But then, of course, some people bought it before they even got to the European coast and then didn't have a show at all getting anywhere near one AMPG. You know, they already blown their fuel consumption figures. Um, I think I'll leave at that before you cry. Des, can you
2: just tell us about the time you wrote the record for fuel consumption? I'm not.
6: <laughs> oh, I won't, I won't
2: I'll introduce it to just say just remember, even you used to fly with an Aussie squadron, and the things that love Aussies love to do is have a bet. <laughs> yeah.
4: Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, uh, I can confess to it now. We have things on about using fuel consumption. Everybody wants to beat everybody else, particularly an engineer. And something happened to two of my motors on the way back after we had lost half our fuel and got rid of our bombs. And somehow or other, I suppose unobserved by me, the throttle levers on two engines sort of slipped back, which was a bit careless on my part. We were at 22,000 feet at the time and we managed to come back on a very, very gentle glide over several hundred miles of Europe and the English coast. With two motors more or less picking over, but that's not what my lock said at
2: the end of Not to see that one pot. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> a, what was the longest flight a mosquito would do? Longest flight a mosquito would do? How many yeah, hours? Yeah, that's question. Maximum hours in a mosquito, what would she do? How far would she go?
5: Put it this way. As we got the control equipment established on the continent, we were given overload tanks and eventually carried out from about 695 gallons. And depending on all the circumstances, sometimes you could come back quite safely but others um, you knew you were getting low so what we did for control of that was to take off on the two small tanks within the wings, these two uh, 50 gallons each and as soon as we were airborne and climbing satisfactorily, we'd switch over to the other tanks and use those until they run out. And, uh, from memory, again, this memory of mine is no comment, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> the forgetter's <word. laughs> And uh, you work there and you drain your other tanks, keeping in mind that you've had in your two 250 gallon tanks that you'd only used for takeoff, knowing that you've used approximately a gallon of petrol per minute during that takeoff time. So therefore, when you've to go, Ran out of petrol from all the other tanks, you had a very good idea how much uh, flying time you had left. Uh, keeping in mind that when you were coming back without your bomb load and you should be coming downhill, uh, you weren't using petrol at the same rate as before. And I think On the worst case where we've had very high wind troubles, I think it was 18 minutes we've estimated we had. What was
2: it on this flight that you took, Mosquito? How many hours? It's the
5: other side of Berlin, and I cannot find, remember at the moment, the name of the south of Berlin.
6: Russia? (laughs)
5: Thank you, I was rushing away. (laughs) Now, I can't remember, but as a point of interest, that same target, I think you're bringing back the memories about timing and how good the navigator had to be with his G and the ram, and because we dropping flares. Or the main force in so now it was bloody important that we were on time and why I remember this particular one, we were six seconds late even allowing for time of bombfall, that is to say we let it go whatever the dropping time was before that and um, we were six seconds off the theoretical arrival time and I saw photographs of that target <coughs> taken a few minutes after i had been there. This was the heavies and boy, <laughs> it was going up in smoke. <laughs> I really mean a lot of it. Thank you. We've um,
2: had okay, one question for Bill to answer about typical trip in the AFACs,
6: because everyone talks. Well, you've got to remember that you didn't only drop bombs. We used a card of box of paper, and we had specific spots and turning points where you had to drop the stuff and we uh, ration cards money and uh, all sorts of stuff that to try and shorten the war and uh, the helicopter was quite good for that because our rear door is half under up the side of the aircraft so you put your box of paper and give it a kick <laughs> and, and uh, get rid of it all wow.
2: so uh, was that counterfeit currency but hey. was that counterfeit currency oh You're
6: yes <laughs> Well produced too. They used to produce it in the mint in England. How
2: much have you still got, Bill?
6: <laughs> one for you, one for me. Now, I'm afraid I didn't retain any other and uh, <coughs> The cooker, we could get rid of the and there. Uh, I, that, that night that uh, Bomber Command went to Dresden, which uh, Arthur Harris got the cane for, we went to uh, an oil refinery, which was within sight of Dresden. And uh, we were quite happy about this because uh, dressed and took all the fighters and we just had a nice, comfortable trip. <laughs> it was just one of those things. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I just found out why I had a loads of trips to drinking.
6: Well I
4: think it was <laughs> not even a nod, so been here for a while yet. So if you want to try
2: and talk to me later, thanks so <thanks, mate. coughs> Thank you Dave. Thank you guys. Thank you.
0: over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.